was that this morning. It's so good to see you. Thanks the Lord for you if you're visiting with us today. Thank you for coming. I always look out and see faces and I don't get to catch all of you before the day is over, but thank you for coming today. Thank you for our home folks that are here. Looking forward to what God has for us today and uh, looking forward to the message. I always do, even though I'm preaching it. So let's get into it. First Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter number 3. And uh, when you find it, if you can, let's stand together in honor of the reading of it. <clears throat> and uh, then we'll read about three or four verses. We'll pray and let you be seated. First Thessalonians chapter number 3. First Thessalonians comes before Second Thessalonians, if you needed some directions there. Uh, some of you are like, oh, that helps me out a lot. Oh, you're welcome. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Look down to verse number 1. And um, we'll start there. The Bible says, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you, to comfort you concerning your faith. That no man should move you by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, we, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, having tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And Lord, I'm overwhelmed by your goodness, I'm overwhelmed by your grace, and Lord, we're so undeserving, but I'm thankful for it. And Lord, I pray for that today, for only grace can meet every need that's here, whether it's for salvation, uh, whether it's for something people are struggling with, maybe it's for people's circumstances, something in their heart, their mind, their marriage, with their kids. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to give them other than what you've given me through your word, and then Lord, your spirit through grace, and I pray that Lord, you give us grace today. I pray that, Lord, you'd help us to say what you'd have us to say. I pray that, Lord, you'd help us, Lord, to be able to not say what you'd have us not to say. I pray that, Lord, somebody that's lost today, maybe in this room, they're not sure about their salvation. I pray that, Lord, they come to know you today. But for those that are saved, have already trusted you, I pray that you'd help us with this very simple truth that, uh, Lord, you have encouraged me through. And I pray your will be done. Bless the invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If I had to categorize this morning's message, I would probably categorize this as more of a Wednesday night message. Uh, the Lord doesn't tell you Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but sometimes they have a feel about them that are more teachy preaching, and uh, sometimes they're more exhortation, sometimes they're more uh, reproof. But today I want to encourage you a little bit from the Word of God, and oftentimes we do that on Wednesday night. Just take some time to walk through Scripture, and I thought I was going to be preaching on the young Jesus left at the temple today. That's what I sat down about midnight last night to begin working through the word and that's what I thought I was going to be preaching today and uh, a little bit later in the evening or maybe earlier in the morning the Lord began to change things up a little bit and directed us to 1 Thessalonians 3 and, and so as I've said a few times since I've been here this is definitely fresh off the presses but undoubtedly what the Lord's given us to preach. Uh, Wednesday night I, I preached a message on uh, bearing burdens better. And how I want to bear burdens better. I want to do better with burdens that are given to me. Uh, I want to glorify God even in things that don't feel good. I, I want to honor God. And I, I want to point to him in uh, times of trouble and times of struggle and times of, of grief. And 
Uh, and boy, it was an encouragement to me. And if you got anything out of it, that was just bonus because the message was for me, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, the Lord led us to First Thessalonians chapter three, and it's almost an identical thought. Uh, as you begin reading chapter three and reading what Paul is addressing, he is burdened about the burdens of the people at the church of Thessalonica. Uh, the Apostle Paul had started this work, and obviously, as someone whose heart has connections and ties there, he's very interested in their well-being. Uh, I, I know as a pastor, when uh, the Lord calls you away from somewhere, it takes a little while for all of those nerves to be cut because uh, it's a place that you're attached to, and if you were never attached to it, then I would say you probably weren't much of a pastor. And so it takes a little while, and you are burdened for people, and here's Paul, he's uh, distant from them at Athens, but he is burdened about the struggles they are going through, and burdened about the needs of their heart, and he says in verse 1, he says, we could no longer forbear. He says, I, I couldn't stand to wonder and to worry, uh, and so I thought it good to be left at Athens, and he sent Timothy there uh, to help, and if you'll notice the focus of why he sent them, verse 3, verse 4, he says... By these afflictions, in verse 4, he says, through tribulation, talks about tribulations there. You can tell Paul is very concerned about the burdens that the church is carrying, the burdens that people have and the care he has for them, that he is now okay with being left alone, saying, "I leave me behind and you go help the people that have the burdens there at Thessalonica, and, and that's exactly what is happening here. And I believe the Apostle Paul, just as much as anyone, knew what the effects of affliction can do. Notice he says in verse 3, by these afflictions. He's worried about what they're going through, and he calls it, he uses the word afflictions. He says, I'm worried about the effects of afflictions in your life. And if there was someone who understood afflictions, I think we could all agree the Apostle Paul understood afflictions. We'll read about some of the afflictions that he went through here in just a moment. I believe he's burdened because he understands the dangers of difficulty. People begin going through afflictions, and they begin to struggle uh, and they start going through difficulty in their life, and that can lead them to a place that, a place, a very, a very dark place, a very worrisome place, a very troublesome place. And so he's so worried about that, he's sending, sending Timothy to help them. Why? Because he understands that when you go through a trial, the devil is quick to offer you temptations. You go through a struggle, you go through a dark time, you go through a difficult time, I promise you, whether it is in your marriage, with your children, whether it's in the church, whether it's with your finances, you go through a trial, you turn around and there's the devil and he's holding out his hand and he is offering you something as you go through the trial that you're going through and I promise you it's a temptation you do not want to heed. I want you to think about Job's wife. Job's wife was going through affliction, was she not? She buried 10 children. And then they've lost all their finances. I, by the way, over half of divorces, 50% of divorce and marriage trouble, marriage counseling goes back to finances, going through financial trouble. So now they've buried 10 children. They are going through financial bankruptcy. They've lost everything. And what did she say to her husband in the midst of the affliction they were facing? Why don't you curse God and die? Here she was. She was struggling. She was going through an affliction. She was hurting. And can I just say in Job's wife's defense, rightfully so, it's all right to hurt. It's all right to go through trials. We all do. 
And at that moment, she's going through this trial. She turns around, and lo and behold, there's the devil offering her this temptation. Hey, why don't you just get in the flesh for a moment and say, curse God and die, Job. What happened? She was not handling affliction very well. I want you to think about Peter. Here's Peter, and he's walking on the water. And then storms begin to happen around him, and and then Peter begins to sink. Why? Because as soon as that storm began to blow up, Peter was tempted with doubt. And Peter was tempted to forget about Christ. I promise you, all throughout Scripture, you find people, when they go through struggles, the devil's right there to offer you something to get out of it that you don't want to really take, I'll be honest with you. Uh, we call, uh, sometimes you see all these billboards going up down the highway, uh, these attorneys, and if you're an attorney today, I don't mean to offend you, I'm not trying to offend you, but sometimes we jokingly say these injury attorneys are ambulance chasers, right? We ever say that? Okay, I've said it, and forgive me if it's a derogatory term, okay? Uh, but you know, man, as soon as there's a, a, a cataclysmic event, they're right there. Here is my business card. Why? They, they want to do something for you. They really want to maybe get something from you, but uh, they do want to help you out a little bit and do something for you. That's the way the devil works. You're going to go through trials and afflictions, and the devil's going to be right there, ready to offer you and to tempt you to do something spiritually that you do not want to do. In my life, difficulty, pain, and affliction have often been one of the most effective tools to try me. I don't like difficulty. I don't like pain. I don't like struggle. I don't like hard times at all. And I go through those, and it's amazing. When I go through those times, at what the devil tempts you with. It's amazing. I, I talked to a pastor the other day, and uh, he says, there are times you have to get darts out of your head. I says, all right, explain, okay? I says, I am a simple, humble country preacher. He says, well, when you go through a trial... All of a sudden, the darts begin hitting your mind. Am I even sure that God called me to preach? There have been times. I'm sure there have been times that you've wondered if God called me to preach. It's all right to laugh, all right? It's good to smile when we can. Maybe you go through a physical trial. Maybe you have cancer. You're in the hospital, and you lay there, and you're praying, and you're asking God to do something, and it's not God's will that you be healed, and all of a sudden, here's the devil offering you doubt to try to give up on God and, and forget God. But can I tell you just as sure as difficulty, pain, and affliction can be one of the most effective tools to try us. I could also say this morning that difficulty, pain, and trials can be one of the greatest tools to train us. And I want to preach about that for a little while today. Uh, between 1983 and 2003, there were thousands of Christians that were killed in the war for Sudanese independence. Um, 20 years, thousands of Christians were murdered, thousands of Christians were kidnapped. Uh, I flew into Africa during the time, flew right over uh, what is now north and southern of South Sudan. And as we flew over, I asked the captain afterward, I said, what is all the fires that we saw flying into here? He says, those are villages burning for the Sudanese independence. I would later get in a little jeep and drive up to the northern border there uh, at Gulu, where Sudan, South Sudan is. And I walked through a refugee village, and we passed out Bibles and preached at a refugee village that was up there. Just thousands and thousands of young people without their parents. They had been kidnapped from their parents out of church, executed, uh, because they were Christian. Now they're in South Sudan, and now it's uh, a Christian nation of sorts. Uh, one of the young men that was involved in that was a young man by the name of Lopez Lemong. Lopez Lemong. 
He was a Kaluma refugee and taken from his parents at six years old out of a church service. Can you imagine your six-year-old child being ripped from your arms while you're in a church service? You are executed and now your child has become the captive of a Sudanese army. The six-year-old child would grow up in that, uh, that area, that cult, that group that was there and for a little while. And then finally he would escape from there and uh, go to a refugee village, one like that I went to, mud huts, as far as you could see. And there he would spend many of his years in that refugee village. There was nothing there for him to do. They were not teaching him to read or to write. And so all that he could do to burn off energy and, uh, and frustration was to run, was to run. And so the, the fence around the refugee village, the area that was there, uh, was around 30 kilometers long, the borders of that refugee village. It, it rounds up to about 18 miles long, and every day, Lopez Lamont would begin running around that wall, trying to just take his mind off of all the struggle and strife that he had been through. His parents had been killed, uh, his friends had been executed, just a horrific, horrific story. Not long after that, the United States began a program it was called the Lost Boys of Sudan, where they brought 3,500 of those young men to the United States, and they were adopted by American parents. Lopez would be adopted by a man by the name of Robert and his wife, Barbara Rogers, out of Tully, New York. They had to teach him to flush a toilet and to take a shower. They had to teach him to brush his teeth and teach him to read and to write. He didn't know any of these things because growing up in a refugee camp, there wasn't much time to really learn a lot, and all he did was run and one day they began trying to find a hobby for him, something for him to do, and they asked him what he liked to do. He says, I like to run. I just like to run. They're like, well, where? He said, just to run. Begin to tell them how he would run around that 30-kilometer uh, border of the refugee village that he lived in. And so his parents began trying to find him an area that he could run in and maybe a race that he could run in. And before long, to make a long story short, Lopez Lamont one of the 3,500 Sudanese refugee boys, the Lost Boys of Sudan, would represent the United States and run in the Beijing Olympics, running the 1,500-meter race. Now listen to me. He took his trial, and he allowed that trial to be his training. He didn't waste his time there. He didn't waste the struggle. He didn't waste the hardship. He allowed that trial to be his training. Now, here's Paul dispatching Timothy, saying, I, I need you to go to Thessalonica. I need you to go to this church. They're going through a trial. Afflictions, verse 3, verse 4, tribulation. And what Paul is about to give them in chapter number 3 is what we're going to preach about this morning. It's a simple prescription for affliction. This morning, I want to give you that if I could, and I want to show you how to triumph through your trials. How to triumph through your trials, a prescription for affliction and how we can use our trials to train us this morning. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right here at the beginning of this message, this is not something I have down pat. This is something I actually hate having to learn. I do not enjoy this prescription of affliction, but I promise you, if you'll take what Paul gave them, it'll help you when you go through your trial. And rather than it being trying you, it will train you. Look, if you will. Bible says he could no longer forbear, verse 1, he sent Timotheus, our brother, verse number 2, but then watch what he says in verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. 
that we are appointed thereunto. Now, I mentioned to you Wednesday night, I, I wish that God delivers me out of my trials and my afflictions, and yet now verse number three says that I am appointed unto afflictions. Now, the help that Paul is about to give them, it may not be something they desire to have, but it's something they need, and it's the first step in this prescription for affliction. I want you to notice, number one, this morning, there's got to be the acceptance of affliction. There's got to be an acceptance of affliction. Here's Paul in verse number three saying, I want you to understand, you are appointed thereunto. And rather than waste the time and fighting and saying, God, I'm just complaining and griping. I don't like this affliction. I don't like this feeling. I'm not enjoying the place that I'm there. Paul says you need to accept that these afflictions are appointed to us. We have appointed afflictions in our life times of difficulty, struggle, and hardship. They are there in our life, and they are appointed. They are supposed to be there. You think about this. Uh, I've, I've discussed creation with a lot of folks. You ever get a chance to go to the Creation Museum? The Ark is amazing. And one of the things they teach you at the Creation Museum is that ordered complexity is always evidence of intelligent design. That means when you see something that's ordered and complex, you automatically know that there was an intelligent designer there. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I have an Apple Watch on my hand, and my Apple Watch is quite interesting. It can show me my heart rate and all of these complex things. Do you know that did not happen by accident? Somebody put all of these components in there, and somebody made all of this work in there. It's amazing. This did not happen by accident. I look at this wonderful building we're in and nice screen that's up here and lights and tiles. They are so ordered and they are so square. I don't believe any of us this morning would go, it's amazing if that happened by accident. Oh no, ordered complexity is always evidence of intelligent design. Somebody put that there on purpose. That's how you argue creation. It's so simple. But I want you to notice something. The Bible says we are appointed unto affliction. The word appointed means, when you look it up, it means to be laid down. It means, here's what Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica, the affliction that you are enduring was laid down there. The afflictions that we go through oftentimes are part of God's plan. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He let us know there's going to be tough times and bad days that are laid down. They are just as much a part of the plan as the good days. And I hate that. I hate that. I'm like, God, wouldn't I learn so much better if you just kept blessing me and blessing me and blessing me and blessing me. Rainbows and sunshine. Man, I, today is my 18th wedding anniversary. Where's my wife? Raise your hand. Where's your hand? Is she in here somewhere? Is she in here? That is my wonderful, beautiful wife. I love her to death. Happy anniversary to you. I got outside my office today. There's an anniversary present. I'm going somewhere with that, okay? And I get outside my office and there's some Coke Zeros and some Oreos there. Look, I, I love opening up my door and there'd be Oreos and Coke Zeros. I wish that was every day. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I would be huge. Don't do it, okay? Don't do it. Don't do it at all. Man, I love opening the doors when there's good things on the other side. I hate opening the doors when there's bad things on the other side. But can I tell you, the afflictions are appointed to us. They are part of the plan just as much as the good days. You know, my daughter was taking her driver's test a while back, and we won't talk much about that. 
she's got it. She's got it. Okay. Looking at me. No, she got it. And uh, we had an appointment at the DMV, which is amazing to me. The DMV has appointments. And it went really well. And, you know, we had to, we've rescheduled a few. There's some appointments you can reschedule, right? Doctor's appointments, get your car aligned appointments, maybe, you know, whatever, health appointments, whatever you got going on. But can I tell you, afflictions, those appointments cannot be adjusted. There are days that you're going to wake up, all of us, as we seek to do the will of God, and there are days there's going to be an affliction laid out. That's what the word appointed means. It means laid out, to be laid down. There's going to be an affliction waiting there, and we're going to have to deal with that. And What do we want to do? You may be a way better Christian than I am, and I'm sure many of you are. But what I want to do is slam the door shut. <laughs> I'm going to wait till tomorrow and see if it's gone, you know. I'm going to wait for the Coke and the Oreos to come back. That's when I'm going to open the door again. And you open it up tomorrow, but it's still there. Can I tell you, afflictions in our life are something we've got to accept. Why? Because we are appointed to them. Let me give you an example. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. The Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. I hate verses like that. Why? Because I want to think something's wrong when I have a bad day. Something's got to be wrong. Something's wrong in my life. No, the Bible says don't think it's strange. That some strange thing happened to you. Do you know what he's saying in 1 Peter? Accept it. Accept it. What did he say? Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial of your faith, which is to try you. It means that God uses trials to train us. I don't look. I don't get trained very well sitting in my recliner eating the Oreos and Coke Zero. I get trained when I have to go run around my neighborhood to work off the Coke Zero and the Oreos. That are there. That's when you get better training. Now, can I tell you, one is less enjoyable than the other, but I need one to train me. All of us do. I don't enjoy this morning when I go through trials. But you know what I've got to learn to do? I've got to learn to accept them. Why? Because the Bible says we are appointed to them. Luke chapter 22, the best example I could give you this morning, verse 42. The Bible says that Jesus uttered these words. Father, if it be, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Now, wait a minute. Jesus is not trying to get out of dying for our sins. We're talking about the hour that he was at, what he was going through at that moment. He's going to go to the cross, and he's going to die for us. That was already settled as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But he says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Do you know what he was saying? Can I just put it in plain English? This is hard. This hurts. This is heavy. But wait a minute, what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Do you know what he says? I accept this affliction. I accept this affliction. Folks, can I help you with a little bit of prescription for affliction this morning? The help that we need begins with us accepting the affliction in our life and difficulty that comes in our life. It's going to grow us. It's going to train us. And as agonizing as it can be sometimes, I believe we've got to accept it in order to move forward in the will of God for our life. Psalms 34, we preached out of there on Wednesday night. That's what verse 19 says. Brother Green and I were talking about this the other night. Psalms 34, a wonderful psalm. It'll help you there. There are sermons in every verse. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Now I want you to understand, not all of my afflictions are because I'm righteous by no means. A lot of times the afflictions I have in my life is because of my dumb self. Anybody else dumb with me? 
I've gone through afflictions and trials and grief in my life, and I would love to say the devil's after me. No, it was me that was after me. I'm the one who caused that trouble and that trial and that strife in my life. But there are times as a child of God, the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Do you know what I think he's saying? Accept it. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Just accept it that there are times there's going to be something laid down before you and you want to go around it. You want to take an exit to get away from it. And God says, no, you need that in your life. Accept it. Accept it. I've stood by the bedside of I don't know how many people who've had cancer in the hospital and begged and prayed God that he would heal him, heal them, and they weren't always healed. Can I tell you the greatest examples in my life have been people who were in situations like that and they accepted that hard time as the will of God. So James Hayden, many of you remember Brother James. He hasn't been gone from us too terribly long. He's up and having church in heaven this morning with his mom and dad. Can't imagine what that's like, can you? If they have a bus ministry in heaven, he's up there working on it somewhere with his mom. I am sure of that. Went to the hospital two days after he was diagnosed with cancer, stood there with him in the, in the hospital room. And I said, all right, Brother James, we're going to pray that God will heal you. He goes, well, you can. I said, well, of course I am. He goes, well, I'd be honest with you, I'm just ready to go to heaven. They didn't teach me the answer to that one in Bible college. What do you say something to somebody? What do you say to somebody who's not really excited about being healed? He had such peace in his life. He says, oh, pastor, he says, you can pray, but I never wanted to get old anyway. I'm like, I'm going to have to go talk to my dad on that one. What do you do in that case? He's okay with going. What a testimony of peace in his life. He accepted what had been laid down, the affliction that he was going through in his life. Now, can I tell you what will happen when you go through afflictions if you don't accept it? If you don't accept it, you're going to start viewing it as something abnormal. Something is abnormal. We live in a country where I am so thankful we have comforts. And we can dial our comfort up to whatever level we want. And you think about this, all right? Uh, right now in our world, most of us have air conditioning, right? Thankful for people like Brother Lenny back there, man. Brother Lenny keeps it going. He wants everybody in this room to forget his phone number for a little while. Bless his heart. <laughs> I hate calling him sometimes. <laughs> Brother Lenny, it's set on 72 and it's 78. He says, welcome to the club, you know. It's just hard to keep up sometimes. I like to dial mine in about 69 before I go to bed. Oh, that's where I like it. Nice and cool. And then I put a hoodie on. Not sure why, but turn it up cold, then put a hoodie on. It's just, I told you, I'm, I'm dumb sometimes. I get it. Do you know I can tell you when it goes from 69 to 70? That is pitiful. The men who stormed the beaches at Normandy would be ashamed of me today. I have this super ability. What is it? Well, I can tell you when it goes from 69 to 70, I can tell you one degree is off on my thermostat. I dial it in where I'm comfortable. My wife and I were shopping for a mattress the other day. We've been married 18 years today, and uh, we're getting old, and it matters, the mattress we sleep on. So we went, and I tried every mattress in Miskelly's. My wife is laughing as I go and lay on every one of them. I roll over, get in the fetal position like I sleep. You know, I'm just getting comfortable. It's a commitment. You know, at least 10 years. They, gave, they showed us this nice bed, about $5,000 bed we did not buy. He says, Mr. Andrews, this bed, you both can adjust your sides. I'm like, that is awesome. I would just love to mess with her. You know, she wake up, you know, like this. I'd love to do that. This is what he told me. He said, Mr. Andrews, this one even has LEDs around the base. I'm like, what? 
He goes, yeah, let me show you. Boop, he popped them on. LEDs around the base of this bed. It was amazing. And then he says, the best part. And I'm like, how can it get any better than this? He says, there's air conditioning in the mattress. I'm like, wait a minute now. <laughs> I love that. And that's all the price. But he, uh, he said, oh, and there's one more thing. I says, what is it? He goes, there's a built-in speaker in the mattress. I said, excuse me? Yeah. He said, that way when you're watching a movie in bed. I said, I don't have a TV in my bedroom. He said, but if you're watching a movie, the sound is all around you. I said, listen, man, if people can hack the Pentagon's computers, I know I got smart enough church members, somebody's going to hack that. Be some lion noises while I'm sleeping. Some of you be in there. I, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. This is the Holy Spirit. Paint the church, Mississippi State, red. Okay, that's what the Holy Spirit said. I mean, we are, we are so accustomed to comfort. We can dial it and adjust it to get it just the way we like it and just the way we want it, except for in this area of afflictions. Can I tell you, afflictions are not adjustable. Afflictions are only acceptable. Somebody said this once, only Christians, the only Christians I am aware of who don't have any afflictions in their life are gathered together in little neighborhoods. Most communities have at least one, and we call them cemeteries. We're always going to have afflictions. What do we do? What's the prescription? Well, he said, I need you to understand something right here. Don't quit. Don't give up. Verse number three, we're appointed thereunto. Now, here's what I want you to notice. If you keep reading, the Bible says in verse three, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. You see, a lot of us know this truth. Don't we? Have you been saved long enough to know we're going to have afflictions? Yeah. Are we good? Everybody nod your head. All right. Yeah. We, we know this, right? He says in verse 3, we know that. We know that. Can I tell you what our problem is? We haven't accepted it. We know it, but we haven't accepted it. That's the truth I'm still learning. I know that I'm going to go through afflictions, hard times, sometimes because of myself, sometimes because of Satan. And I'm going to go through difficult times in my life. And I know that. But the, the game changer is when you accept it. God, I accept what is laid down. God, I don't like what's laid down today. God, I don't like what's in my path today. God, I'm not enjoying what's in my path today. But God, I accept it. Why? Because I know I have been appointed unto it. Philippians 1.12, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Here's Paul speaking to the church at Philippi, comforting them, saying what's happening to me has fallen out, been laid down. For what? The furtherance of the gospel. Do you know what Paul sounds like to me? He sounds like someone who's accepted his trial. He's accepted his affliction. Number one this morning, what's the first step in the prescription for affliction? The acceptance of the affliction. Second thing, if you look down to verse number three, you see that God is not the only one that would desire to use affliction. The Bible says that no man should move, be moved by these afflictions. I'm thankful God can use afflictions in my life and that God can grow me and train me. I can be like Lamong, the, the Olympic runner. 
that I can use my time of difficulty and trouble to learn how to run, that one day I could run and represent something even better than where I started through my trials. But notice verse 3 shows us God is not the only one that can use your trial. He warns them that affliction can be used against them, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. The second part of the prescription for affliction this morning, notice this, you've got to understand the aim of affliction. The aim of affliction. Satan desires to use affliction in your life. Why? Because he wants to move you. Now look, we're not talking about physically move you, okay? We're talking about spiritually move you. Satan wants to use difficulty, contention, strife, discord, stress. He wants to use that to move you spiritually. That's what his aim, that's what his desire is. Turn with me back to your left. I want to show you something in 2 Corinthians 11. I want you to see this today. The Lord's been helping me. And as we've received, let's minister, right, the grace of God. I want to give you something that God's helped me with, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want you to look down to verse number 24. Paul says, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. He was beaten. Verse 25, thrice or three times was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys, often in perils of waters. Some of you here who can't swim, that's scary, isn't it? In perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. All the way down, weariness, painfulness. You read all of these afflictions that the Apostle Paul went through. But he says in verse 30, If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. He was not moved by his affliction. He says, I know what the devil wants to do through this. I know how the devil wants to work through the affliction in my life, and I'm not going to let him move me. I'm not going to let him shake me. I'm not going to let him get me to quit. Why? Because I know these are appointed unto me. It's amazing when you get back to 1 Thessalonians, you read that word affliction. Here's what it means. It means to be pressured. To be pressured. I think all of us probably have heard of a French press coffee maker, yeah? Anybody use one, have one? I have one at my house. I use it every once in a while. And you put the hot water over in there and you pour the coffee grounds over in there and you put the lid on it and there's this plunger. And uh, I enjoy making it. I, I'm not crazy about Frenchy stuff other than fries, but uh, it's a neat, uh, neat coffee thing. And so I, I use it every once in a while. And, when you're ready to make the coffee, you start pushing down that plunger and you see those coffee grounds and all of a sudden the water goes from clear all the way to that rich, rich, dark brown coffee that's there and you are pressing all of that wonderful coffee flavor out of those grounds. I, I don't like to chew my coffee. I like to drink it. So I like the grounds to stay in and the coffee to come out and boy, I don't think I've had a cup today, Brother Zach. I'm going to have to go and get a cup right after this. All right, we can go get one together maybe. But it separates what is good from what is left over. 
do you know what the devil wants to do with affliction in your life? The word affliction means press. He wants to press every good thing out of you. He wants to press your joy out of you. You're going to go through a trial. You're going to go through grief and pain and try and struggle, and he's pressing you. Affliction is pressing you, and he's trying to press all that's good out of you. Your joy, your peace, your power, your contentment in your life, we've all been there. We've all been there. But then suddenly, as you begin to be pressed out of measure, when you realize in this prescription that that is Satan's aim, that ought to fill you with spiritual adrenaline to realize that it's just the devil trying to get out of you what God wants in you, and you're not going to let him press you out of measure anymore. Not going to happen. Samson, bless his heart, mighty man of God, powerful man of God, had purpose from God in his life. The little beautiful young lady pressed that mighty man, pressed out his power, pressed out his purpose, pressed out anything good from him. And when he died, he virtually died a spent man at the bottom of a pile of rubble. What happened? She kept pressing him, pressing him. I don't know if there's a better, a better example of this than our Lord and Savior. One of the most tough places to read in my Bible reading. Uh, crucifixion's tough, probably right there at the top. But right before that, I, I would probably say, is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And man, he is there, and the Bible says that his sweat fell as great drops of blood. By the way, Gethsemane means olive press. Olive press. What do you do in an olive press? You are pressing that oil, squeezing that oil out, trying to get the good stuff out that's there. The Bible says that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane Luke twenty two forty four and being in agony. Have you ever been in agony? Being pressed out of measure. He prayed more earnestly. By the way, could I just throw in right here, oftentimes afflictions will help you pray more earnestly. I had somebody tell me the other day, you know, most of the time I pray, I pray silently because I don't want anybody to hear all the things I'm confessing, okay? No, I'm picking. You're like, ooh, what is it? Our walls have ears around here. It's amazing. And I talked to someone the other day, and they says, can I tell you what, something that helps me when I have a burden? I says, what is that? He says, I pray out loud. I pray out loud. So my wife, so I started praying out loud so the Lord could hear me, maybe just a little bit better. And uh, it was an encouragement to me, and it helped me. Here's what Jesus did. He prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. Can I tell you? Our Savior is no fool. He knew what Satan was trying to do. And thank God, he was unmovable. He wasn't moved. I, I will never face what Jesus faced in the Garden of Gethsemane. I will never be pressed like that because he's about to have the sins of the whole world placed upon his shoulders. He's about to be pressed. But can I tell you, I'm on my way to heaven today because he was not movable. Not movable. The Bible says in verse 3, the aim of affliction, oftentimes if you're not careful, is that we're moved spiritually. I read a story, and it's too long to remember all the details, so I'm going to read a little bit of it for you this morning before I get to the final point to close this out. The year was 1527, was the most trying year of Martin Luther's life. On April 22nd, he was preaching in Wittenberg when he became dizzy and fainted. Over the next several months, he dealt with a debilitating depression and sickness. It had been 10 years since he had published his 95 thesis. 
He had battled long and hard against the church and the government, even against other reformers, and now he was broken and beaten. He wrote his friend about his loneliness and his illness and said, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain and I still tremble. Completely abandoned by Christ, I felt. I labored under the vacillations and storms of desperation and blasphemy against God. That's what he was tempted to do. Here he is going through a trial. Satan tempts him, blaspheme God. But through the prayers of the saints, God began to have mercy on me. Thank God for praying, people. And pulled my soul from the inferno below. Eventually, with the help of doctors, he regained his strength and health. Just as he was recovering, a plague struck Wittenberg. Even though his wife was pregnant, Luther's house was transformed into a hospital. And he watched many friends die. Then his son became ill, and it looked as if he would die. In the midst of all this, he wrote his most famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He did not succumb to the aim of the affliction. He was not moved. He was not moved. And to this day, that hymn encourages, empowers, and strengthens the arms of Christians all over the world. If he could go through that and still say, a mighty fortress is our God, the great I am still is, God's still on the throne, hey, he's not going anywhere, hey, behold our God, he's still there, I'm not going to let the aim of the affliction keep me from moving forward in the will of God, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. That's what you ought to resolve this morning. That no matter what I go through, I am not going to succumb to the aim of the affliction, which is what? To move us. Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul faced bonds and afflictions. The Bible says in verse 24, but none of these things shall move me. None of these things move me. Paul says, I understand that the aim of what the devil's doing. Can I tell you, when you realize what the devil's trying to do, all of a sudden you realize the jig is up. And you're not going to fall for that trap anymore. You're not going to give in and entertain thoughts of quitting and giving up. Why? Because you know it's just the devil. It's not flesh and blood that we're fighting against. This is Satan. He hates what's going on at this place. He hates your family. He hates your home. That's why you've got to bow up, push back when the press comes, and don't give in to the aim of the affliction. I'm telling you, folks, we quit too easy. We are shallow. We are too comfortable. We are appointed to affliction, number one. Number two, the aim of the affliction is to what? Is to move us. I'd be a fool this morning if I didn't recognize all of the affliction our church has been through. I'd be a fool. We have beloved staff move on, pastor move on for many years, this horrific thing called COVID, ups and downs. Trials and struggles. I told somebody the other day, if there was ever a thing called affliction fatigue, I think we have it. We've been through it. What's the temptation? Quit. Just quit. Let it move you. Let it move you. Just quit. I had said in my office many days, some this week, you know, the devil's always there offering you the escape route. To get out of the affliction. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God just speaks to your heart. And I'm so thankful he speaks to dummies like me. And he says, who, who wants you to quit? 
God says, it's not me. It's not me. Number two, the aim of the affliction. Well, Satan desires to move you. That's why Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I promise you, your family can't afford for you to faint under the weight of the affliction. Your kids can't afford it. Our country can't afford it. Can I leave you on a good note this morning? Don't we like a happy ending? That's how we grew up in America, right, with fairy tales? This is not a fairy tale. This is real. Verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. Even as it came to pass and as ye know, you knew this was coming. So what was the point of the whole thing? Watch verse 2. Here it comes and I'm done. He sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, here it comes, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Paul says, here's the last part. It's the most important part of the prescription for affliction this morning. And it's realizing, number three, the antidote for affliction. The antidote for affliction. Paul says, you're going to have to accept that affliction is going to be in your path. God forbid you have affliction waiting outside of your door tomorrow morning. But a room of this size, it is impossible. Somebody in this room, if not many of you in this room, will open up your door of your life tomorrow and there's going to be affliction laid out for you. Affliction that has been appointed by God but seeks to be used by Satan to get you to quit and to be moved away from your faith. What is the antidote? Well, it's exactly what Paul sent Timothy to tell them. You've got to be established in your faith so that it can comfort you. You've got to be established in your faith. Now, notice this. It boils down to the good old-fashioned simple answer of our faith. That's what it boils down to. To where whether or not I truly believe God, do I believe what I sing about? Do I believe that a mighty fortress is our God? Do I believe that? Do I believe that the name of the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous run into and are safe? Do I believe that? Do I believe, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil? Do I believe that none of these things shall move me? Do I honestly believe that? That's where you get established in your faith. And then suddenly that you realize in your heart, God hasn't gone anywhere. His word still stands. He's not going to leave me nor forsake thee. I believe that. I'm taking it to the bank. I'm going to cash it based on the word of God. That's this morning what we've got to understand the antidote is. I believe the reason we waver and we flinch. Now, now let me stop right there real quick. Just because we cry, worry, and doubt and fear, you're looking at one of the best in the world. I can come up with some of the scariest things that could happen to you sitting in that chair. <laughs> that chandelier is looking a little rocky. Those lights look pretty heavy. That person behind you looks kind of shifty. <laughs> I'm not saying just because you're concerned, you cry, and it's hard that you don't have faith. But I am going to tell you this morning, the antidote to affliction is being established in your faith and being unmovable. Don't be movable. The antidote this morning. Think about this. What is the cumulative effect of affliction in the life of a believer? 
when affliction stacks up, and boy, we've went through it. When affliction stacks up after a while, what does it add up to be? I'm going to give you one word answer. Doubt. I've gone through this, I've gone through this, I've gone through this, I've gone through this, and all of a sudden you begin doubting everything. I have, da- I have never doubted that I was called to preach. I've never, a preacher asked me that today. Have you ever doubted you're called to preach? I said, no, I never doubted that. I've doubted just about everything else. I've doubted my salvation. I've doubted a lot of things in my life. Oftentimes, we start going through a trial. We start asking, am I even saved? You're going through a trial for so long, you start wondering, am I sure I got what I thought I got back there when I said I got saved? I've been there. You ever question whether you're doing what God would have you to do because you go through a trial, you go through trouble, and you start questioning everything? Well, that's what the devil wants you to do. But here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to be established in your faith. My favorite preacher is Elijah. 1 Kings 19, Elijah sat underneath a juniper tree. He says, I'm no better than my father's. And basically wished God would just take him. He's doubting everything. The great Elijah, he's doubting it. I'm no better. I haven't done anything. I've not accomplished anything. I'm no good. Just get me out of here. If it could happen to Elijah, it could happen to you. Right? Can I tell you what the answer is? Be established in your faith. This is what happened with him. All of a sudden, the Lord shows up in his life, gives him what he needs, and helps him get where he's going. Charles Spurgeon said this. I'm going to hurry and be done. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. Listen to that again. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. When you get to the place where you're down, you're low, you're hurting, you're grieving, whatever it is, physical, spiritual, you're going through this trial, and all of a sudden you feel like God has abandoned you. If you haven't, you'll be there. Try to live for God very long, you're going to be there. And the most hopeless place in the world is when the devil convinces you to doubt that whether or not God cares at all. That's hopelessness. What's the antidote? Be established in your faith. You ought to ask yourself, do I really believe this? Do I really believe this? You know doubt and faith can't coexist. At some point, you just got to turn around on your office chair, kneel down, and start praying and say, God, I trust you. I trust you. God, I, I don't know what you're doing. And God, I don't even want to pretend to know why you're doing it. But I trust you. And then suddenly the load gets lighter. Why? Because it's not your load anymore. It's his. Casting all your care upon him. God, I I trust you. I trust you that this is an appointed trial in my life. Real quickly, I want you to know it's okay to hurt. And it's okay to cry. But child of God, I want you to know something today. It's not okay to quit. It's not okay to quit. Let me tell you why. Because he still means what he said. He still means what he said. This is still true. It still prevails. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's already settled. Whatever you're dealing with has already been settled. You are already an overcomer. That's who you are. The Bible says. Here's the question. Do you believe it? What is the victory? It's our faith. You don't have faith. You don't have victory. Maybe this morning that's why so many of us are defeated. I'll close with this. Matthew chapter 9, there was the dad whose son had trouble. He was afflicted. 
comes to Jesus and he cries out to Jesus and asks Jesus to, to help him. The disciples could not help him. And Jesus said, if you believe, Mark chapter 9, verse 23, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. There's the problem. There's the problem. The problem wasn't that Christ couldn't heal him. The problem was whether he really believed enough that his son would be healed. Do you know when I want to quit, I want to give up, I want to say I can't and it's too hard. Do you know when those circumstances are? When I'm not trusting in God's word, I'm trusting in my power. Then all of a sudden you begin flipping through the pages of this book. You begin to realize it's, it's all still true. It's all still true. It still works. He still is. And then suddenly the burden gets just a little bit lighter. Can I ask you this this morning? Do you need comfort from affliction? The Bible says, you go back and read verse 3, verse 2 and verse 3, to comfort them by being established in their faith. Do you need comfort this morning from a burden, a trial? Do you need comfort from that this morning? The answer is our faith. Get in this book and decide, do I really believe what it says? Do I really believe who he is? And if I do, then I trust him with it. I trust him with the appointed trial and affliction in my life. God, all right, this is in my path. I trust you with that. I'm not going to rely on me. I'm just going to trust in you this morning. Do you need some comfort from a trial? I wonder this morning, do you need comfort for your soul? See, the Bible says that our God, our Father, is a Father of all mercies and comfort. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ. You're bearing the heaviest burden that anyone on this planet could bear. Do you know what it is? It's called sin. You're bearing a burden that you cannot tote and you will not tote or it'll tote you all the way to a devil's hell one day. Can I tell you, there's comfort for that. It comes through faith in what Jesus did. If you're here this morning and you're saved and maybe you're scared. I've been scared. I've been worried. I've been fearful. There's comfort even you're scared in here, but you've got to decide, do you believe it or not? All right, you know, I'm just going to stand on what God said and let God sort out all that I can because he is who he says he is, and he'll do what he said he'd do. This morning, folks, there is a prescription for affliction. Realize we're appointed to them. Realize Satan has an aim in them. He wants to move you. Realize this morning the antidote is I just trust God and believe what God said and let God come through for us again. Heads are bowed.